Welcome. Welcome to Taboo Topic. I am your host, Ken Drew, for your special edition, first ever, as a matter of fact, Voters Eye, a new monthly series where I'll interview someone once a month, the average Joe or Jane, to get their perspective and get their sentiments about what's going on around them, their country that they're living in, whether it's the United States, or in this case, in today's first ever edition of Voters Eye, a Canadian. We'll talk to this Canadian, an independent citizen journalist, his perspective on what's going on in Canada. We'll actually learn a lot about the Canadian Parliament system as well and what led up to the Freedom Convoy in the aftermath. So hopefully you enjoy the conversation. I certainly learned a lot, so hopefully you do as well. With that said, folks, stay tuned. We'll be back after this short break. Now to sponsor myself, me, that's right, I have absolutely no money to be made off this, just getting the word out. Now, if you've ever wondered where I get my Thinking Out Loud monologues from, well I'm glad you asked because they're just my articles from a Substack newsletters. Just type in the URL at kenjin296.substack.com, I repeat, kenjin296.substack.com, spell the word engine, put the letter K in front of the word engine, then you get kenjin, one word, 296.substack.com. Then you can follow me on Instagram, Getter, TikTok, and soon Truth Social at Kenjin underscore Express. I repeat, Kenjin underscore Express. Then last but not least, you can follow me on Facebook. Type in Taboo Topic in the search bar. Look for the logo that says Honesty Equals Understanding. There's two episodes a week. I have a hot seat edition where I scrutinize an opinion or story, popular or unpopular. Do my research so to provoke thought. Remember... That also comes with an article on Substack, so don't forget about that, on Wednesdays. Then on Friday, we go over current events where I pick two to four stories I found interesting, and hopefully you do as well. Possibly more if I have a guest, then there's a good conversation so we can cover as many bases as possible so you, the audience, have less holes to fill in understanding the truth. That's two episodes a week, guaranteed, which you can listen to this show on any platform from Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, and more. To stay up to date and tune in. Don't forget to leave a review either. If it's less than a five star, let me know so I can better serve you. Here on this show, we dare to think out loud and question the narrative. Free speech triumphs your safe space because in order for us to think, we have to risk being offensive. If we want to have true peace in our society, we have to be able to be honest with each other. If we can be honest with each other, then we'll have a true understanding that will lead to real peace. Amen? All right, let's get back to the show. And welcome back, folks. Welcome back to Taboo Topic. I am your host, Ken Drew. Thank you for tuning in to this first ever Voters Eye edition, where we try to get an in-depth look to see what's going on through the Voters Eye government policies or how they affect the average person. And with this episode, now I know on my social media platform on Instagram, like I mentioned earlier, I talked about how I was going to get try to get Biden voters in particular on first. However, I came across someone on the internet, on Instagram, ironically enough, and we reached out. I reached out to him, and he actually lives in Canada and does his own thing, and he's going to give us an inside scoop of what's going on with the Canadian uh, political game system and everything like that. So without further ado, his name is Andrew. Andrew, welcome to the show. How are you today, sir? Hey, Ken. I'm, I'm doing really well. Thanks. Yeah, so um, I'll just introduce myself. Um, I'm Andrew Kozak, and I'm an independent citizen journalist from from Canada. And uh, 
I have my own channel. It's called Checkpoint News. And uh, I started it because I really wanted to <clears throat> jump, like, uh, head in to practice journalism properly. Um, I wanted to avoid the uh, post-secondary school system um, because it's not really a place for, for learning anymore. It's more for, uh, you know, leftist kind of uh, ideals and, and everything. So due to the current climate and, you know, the time and the money that would go into uh, schooling, I just figured <clears throat> that uh, the best way to, to learn is to just start doing. So uh, I was here in Toronto and I was uh, attending these uh, COVID-19 uh, protest rallies and <clears throat> I was conducting interviews I was writing articles and took video and, and photographs so and you do so you, you're an actual journalist whereas I am I comment on the journalism that I see mm -hmm. um, and so you know I we need people like you it sounds like what you do is kind of what Project Variety Veritas does. Am I correct? Is that kind of what you're going for? Uh, yeah, yeah. Actually, James O'Keefe and Project Veritas are um, big inspirations for me. That's awesome. We need we need more people out there that are interested in being the voice of the people. Now, with that said, I am I am curious. How did you come up with the new the uh, name Checkpoint News? How did you come up with it? Did you get help? Or was it kind of like spur of the moment, like you were drinking your coffee and then the angels from heaven above started singing. It's like, this is what you should name your. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, the name actually comes from uh, uh, the, the COVID-19 restrictions that we've been seeing in Canada. So over the past year, they've gotten with uh, vaccine passports and um, mask mandates and it, I really started to see a shift in uh, Canadian society where, you know, uh, you can go into a restaurant without showing your papers. And that really reminded me of times in history where, uh, you know, you had to, you had to show your papers at checkpoints uh, to cross into the other side of the city, whether it was Berlin or um, Iran or all these other places that, uh, that had these strict uh, emergency zones to, um, to control people. So what I wanted to do with Checkpoint <clears throat> is I wanted to be the line between fake news media and sens uh, sensationalization uh, and real news from the ground. You know, I, I, was, I was there to listen to the people who, who wanted to have their voices heard, who uh, aren't getting an outlet anywhere in Canada. Um, Canada has, um, so pretty much every, uh, every news station is, um, at least partially owned by the government. Uh, so namely, uh, we have CBC, which is the Canadian Broadcasting uh, Corporation and CTV, which is a uh, city news and yeah. And, uh, they get hev heavily funded by the, by the state in favor of, uh, 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 for for uh, favorable reporting. So you're not really getting honest news uh, or even 
criticism about our uh, our government and and their actions. So I took it upon myself and I, I was inspired by other independent journalists who are doing the same. And I said, you know, this has to stop. We've got to we got to find ways around this. That's pretty badass. I'm just saying, like that name by itself and the explanation of how you came up with that name, that's pretty cool. I like that. That's that's a lot of you know the def- the angels were singing to you when you came up with that name. I like oh, that. Yeah. yeah, it's it's all because of them. <laughs> For sure. Now, that's one of the reasons why I brought you on the show though, because well, first and foremost, a little bit about me and everything like that. Um one of the, I guess for me, the straw that broke the camel's back was what happened here in the United States with January 6th and the media rhetoric from both the left and right. And so as far as how they interpreted January 6th, and I felt there was a huge disconnect between the working class and this elite group from both the left and right, and also came from uh, commentators as well, where I just scratched my head and I thought, man, like, who are they talking to? Who do they think their audience is? You, th- <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I definitely am in agreement with you that I there's a disconnect between the working class and the elite bubble going on in today's society. With that said, you're in Canada. Now, did you live and grow up in Canada your whole life, born and raised? Yes, I'm uh, born and raised here in Toronto. All right, so this is going to be a very good conversation then because, like I said, a lot of my audience members, the majority are, um, are American, and so we know, we hear bits and pieces about the Canadian system, but obviously, because we don't live there, we don't know, there's only so much we know. So, mm-hmm. with that said, go ahead and just give us a brief overview of Canada's current political climate. Yeah, sure. Um, so right now in Canada, uh, we just had an election last year, uh, called by Justin Trudeau and he's been in power since, uh, and he is very unpopular. Uh, so in, uh, 2021, he only got 33% of the popular vote and the vote is divided amongst like, uh, the top five parties, four or five parties here. Um, so he only got 33%, which is the lowest, I think in Canadian history, uh, where someone has gotten that little of the, uh, popular vote, but still managed to, uh, to win the election. Uh, so right now, actually in the last, uh, week, we've seen a a very big shift because, um, so the way that, um, the, uh, parliament works, it's, uh, it's, exactly the same as British Parliament. So you have uh, about 338 ridings in Canada, which are voting districts, and there is one member of Parliament per riding. So you need uh, more than half to gain a majority, and then, uh, uh, but whoever has the most uh, seats or the most ridings uh, wins the election. So Right now, Justin Trudeau has a minority government. And this means that if he wants to pass a bill in parliament, then he needs a support from at least one other party uh, in order to, to push it through. 
So what happened last week is uh, he has teamed up with uh, um, uh, another party. And this, uh, this party is called the NDP or the New, Democrat, New Democratic Party. And uh, they are far left, very far left, uh, um, almost socialist party. And uh, the leader is uh, Jagmeet Singh. That's his name. And so now they have formed a, somewhat of a coalition where uh, they have a deal that any bill that uh, uh, Justin Trudeau wants to pass, the NDP uh, will support it. Uh, through through any motion so <clears throat> so that's how the like like democratic process is like in canada and it's you know people aren't happy because the ndp only got 17 percent of the vote um so it's it's not very much and you, we really have a divided country right now that is mind-boggling to hear that Justin trudeau didn't even get 40% of the vote by the people of Canada, but still got put in power. It sounds like more or less by a select few, if you will, the elite. Yeah. For and sure. it's all the big cities that, uh, that are voting for him. That's crazy. So go ahead and actually explain to my audience, if you wouldn't mind how the election process works in Canada in particular and maybe clarify some misconceptions and you know that people may have about the Canadian parliament system if that makes sense yeah sure of course um <clears throat> yeah so we have uh we have a uh five or six major parties in Canada these are the liberal which is uh currently in power that's Justin Trudeau then we have the conservative party uh the NDP and then we have a uh, uh, a green party so for environmental and also socialist uh, um, policies and then we have uh, the it's called the bloc quebecois and this is a very uh, it's a separatist party uh, of the quebec province um, but that's very complicated and then we have the uh, the people's party of canada which uh, currently they don't have any seats in in parliament but they are the most uh, the most conservative uh, of all of them. And in my opinion, uh, you know, all these other parties, they, they, they kind of like work together. Um, the conservatives aren't very conservative. Uh, in fact, they'll, they'll often side with liberal or, um, or some of the other parties to, to pass unconservative bills through, um, which is a, uh, you know, disheartening. Um, but yes. And uh... so let me go ahead and ask you this then, because here in the United States, so we have every two years when it comes to our Congress, you know, the Canada's version of the parliament members every two years, at least when it comes to the House of Representatives, we'll vote on our district members and they go free election. Then we have the presidential election that's every four years. And then the Senate elections, you know, varies, but um, for each state, for each member, they get at least six years before they go up for re-election again. So what exactly is that like in Canada? Yeah. Okay. So um, <clears throat> we can, uh, we, we don't vote for, uh, for Senate. So Senate is uh, appointed by the, uh, by the prime minister. Um, 
and I, I don't think they have term limits either. So uh, a lot of them have, have been there uh, for a long time. And um, um, yeah, so we have these, uh, an election can happen at any point in uh, uh, during the year. So um, <clears throat> what happens is that if uh, the leader or the prime minister is uh, trying to get a, a bill through parliament and he doesn't get it through, he can uh, treat that as what, what we call a confidence vote. And a confidence vote is when uh, the leader isn't able to pass a, um, uh, a bill through and he calls an election, basically. He can say that, oh, you guys don't trust me to, to run the country. Um, we're gonna we're gonna have an election and uh prime ministers they do this because um uh they do it at very opportune moments so when they see that their polls are are running high then uh they can um they can take that opportunity to to try and gain a few more seats in uh in the house of commons in in parliament um and it can happen it can happen at any points but uh Absolutely, for sure, we have elections every four four years. Um, whether or not there was a uh, a confidence motion um, in, in during that term, so the last election, which was in twenty twenty one, that was a, a vote of no confidence. Uh, there was a, a bill going through about I think it was about um, vaccine mandates or uh, something of the sort. Um, and he wasn't a, he didn't win enough votes. So he just, he called the election. And, uh, so campaigning can take, I think the minimum is about, uh, 35 days from when you call an election to when it is held. Um, but it can go for, uh, for a few months, but it's generally, it's generally shorter than, uh, in the States. Uh, there's, you guys campaign for a long time and, uh, yeah. Okay, so just for clarification purposes, so the vote of confidence that, that you're talking about. So let's say within that four-year span, let's say year two into the four years term, you know, I do that vote of confidence. Does that four-year uh, four years restart or that still goes through? Do you know what I'm talking about? Does that make sense? Uh, yeah. So, um, no, the, the four years does not restart. Uh, so there are... Um, uh, elections, they, they get decided, um, uh, far in advance and there will for sure, no matter what, there will be elections on that date. Um, but it's only if the prime minister feels that he is polling well and he's communicating to his uh, constituents well, that, uh, he'll call in a no confidence. Got it. Got it. Okay. So I like how you brought up the um, conservatives not really promoted conservative values up in, in your Congress, if you will. And we'll get into that later because that kind of plays into the Freedom Convoy where it seems like the last two years, uh, if I, you can clarify me, we'll, we'll get into this a little bit deeper in depth later on, but you know, for right now, clarify, correct me if I'm wrong, but before the Freedom Convoy, pretty much all the government members in Canada were in lockstep when it came to like vaccines, 
mandate lockdowns am i correct in assuming that yes yes it was pretty much every mp uh in parliament was yeah like you said in lockstep okay cool 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 so with that said let's talk about justin trudeau's rise to power and his ideology uh because like it's very interesting to hear that he even get 30 percent of the vote so he's not popular with the canadian people but he's popular with the elite establishment it seems like and right now however the even the united nations people in the united nations this week uh trash justin trudeau and his ideology yeah I saw where that. he's where he's also been quoted saying things like i admire china's dictatorship and among and like praising people communist leaders like fidel castro for example which go ahead and clarify this for right go ahead and clarify this for the whole audience um, is justin trudeau the son of fidel castro well, I mean, if you see a picture of them side by side, it's hard not to see the similarities. It is. Oh, like so you're not completely di- so you're not completely dismissing it then. <laughs> I won't. I won't dismiss. I won't confirm. I won't deny. Um, oh, that's funny. But uh, but yeah, if you look, if you see the photos, they look too similar. Too similar. <laughs> and they and they sound at least their minds is pretty similar. So with that said, though, like, go ahead and explain to the, our audience the his rise to power and his ideology because some would say that he may claim liberalism, but even he puts a bad name to liberalism as for, for the obvious reasons we've seen the last two months, the beginning of 2022. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. So <clears throat> this actually starts when, uh, when he was really young, um, his, his father actually served as prime minister in the 1970s. Um, and he he um, invoked the Emergencies Act. It was called the War Measures Act then to uh, to quell some uh, very serious and violent protests. Um, uh, so that's his dad. And Justin Trudeau, he uh, he was politically active as a uh, in his teens and early adulthood. Uh, but then he was uh, he ended up becoming a, a drama teacher at a uh, at a high school in Vancouver, and um, <clears throat> so so he was he was teaching for a while, and then in uh, in the mid two thousands he uh, he jumped into politics again, and he became a member of the the Liberal Party, and he was an MP for for several years uh, before he made uh, uh, the leadership, and. Uh, when you see Trudeau's track record and his skills, um, it's it's quite clear that he is unqualified to to be uh, to be a prime minister. He doesn't have any of the uh, uh, attributes that a that a good leader has, um, but uh, he does have the the name of his father, and uh, his father is very well known in Canada, and uh, um, it would. <clears throat> I would say that that is uh, what what helped them reach uh, reach that position, and then in uh, in 2015, uh, that was uh, the election between um, Justin Trudeau and Stephen Harper, who was the incumbent at the time, and uh, that that's when he won on a platform of 
you know, uh, legalizing cannabis, um, more liberal, uh, <clears throat> like tax spending and services, um, very, very general um, uh, kind of uh, making healthcare uh, uh, better, kind of these uh, leftist like ideals. Gritty politics. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so he was elected uh, to a majority government. And, um, and yeah, and for those few years, you know, he, he embarrassed himself a few times, but uh, he wasn't, um, he didn't really show a quality of kind of uh, authoritarianism. It was kind of just, uh, you know, kind of like puppet kind of. Um, but then really once uh, the COVID-19 pandemic came around, uh, that's when he really started to, to crack down uh, with with lockdowns and uh, federal mandates and um, in in the years since and especially this year he he really shifted to um, a, a strong distaste for uh, much of uh, uh, many of uh, Canadian citizens Canada is about ninety uh, percent uh, vaccinated right now which is one of the the top in the world uh yet uh we still have federal federal mandates the unvaccinated uh it's very difficult for them to leave the country they're not able to to board a plane um or or a train um and justin trudeau has done nothing to to kind of ease tensions in canada uh so he, he, he often called uh, unvaccinated and uh, COVID-19 protesters, you know, racist, misogynist, fringe, sexist, all these, all these words. Um, I want to yeah. interject real quick because yeah. what you said about Canada being 90% vaccinated at a vaccinated rate, it's a big deal because I think from my understanding about the Canadian culture in general – is that Canadians aren't naturally confrontational. And so they're more willing to probably go along with the flow. And so the government is telling them to do certain things. They're more likely to comply. Am I wrong to assume that? No, no, that's, that's correct. I, I would say that it's, it's in the culture to, you know, we're, we're nice and, you know, we, we kind of do what we're told and you, uh, it's always under the guise of like greater good, but, but yeah, that's, that's about uh, how it goes. Okay, so then, because that because that kind of gets into the freedom economy, which is kind of where you were going with. But before I get into that, from 2015 until now, has Trudeau was Trudeau more popular when he got put in office in 2015, and then the popularity started to deteriorate, or he never was that popular to begin with from the people. So I would say that he was he was very popular in the beginning. <clears throat> I think uh, Canada at the time was was looking for for a change. Um, the The previous prime minister Stephen Harper was uh, was in power for for nine years, and um, you um, you had more voters coming into voting age, and they wanted they wanted something some someone new, someone more liberal, uh, uh, socially liberal, economically liberal. So he was very popular in the beginning, uh, especially. Uh, amongst uh, young voters and kind of elite um, voters, he he legalized uh, 
cannabis uh, for the for the entire population, uh, entire adult uh, uh, population. And uh, he he lowered I think he lowered taxes for for lower classes uh, and raised them for um, for higher classes. So at the beginning, he, he, he was very popular. Okay. Okay. So now with this COVID and everything like that and his, with the whole situation with COVID and how he handled the situation, let's go ahead and kind of paint a picture to where by the time Justice Trudeau and the Canadian government tried to impose these vaccine or not really impose like, but kind of give these truck drivers ultimatums and coerce them into getting the vaccine by making their life harder whenever they return back to back to the Canadian border, like as a straw that broke the camel's back. Go ahead and paint us a picture as far as the buildup to where that led to the straw breaking the camel's back with the truck drivers. Yeah, of course. So you know, in the beginning, we were all cheering for. Uh our frontline workers. And this was reflected in, you know, uh, speeches by, uh, you know, Trudeau and, and other politicians, you know, they were saying, you know, thank your nurses, thank your truck drivers, uh, thank your grocery workers, all these people. <clears throat> and then, uh, so for, for two years, um, there were no uh, mandates against uh, truck drivers crossing the border. They they had an uh, an exemption, but uh, it was it wasn't until January of this year, when you know, the waves are already we're already past uh, you know the two major waves. We have a bit of Omicron, but it it doesn't look like a serious threat, and Justin Trudeau imposes this uh, this vaccine mandate for all truck drivers uh, who are crossing the border, and this was really like. That was that that was that moment where kind of all these people were were waking up to this because truck drivers are in their in their trucks all alone uh, driving by themselves for up to like 12 a day and and they're not meeting anyone and they're in the safest position they're not spreading the virus um, uh, they're not interacting with uh, with too many people um, <clears throat> uh, uh, so yeah, it was really that that moment when, um, you know, why why was it okay for them for the last two years uh, to to cross the border without a problem, but it's only in 2022 when they needed the uh, uh, the vaccine. So all these uh, these trucking companies uh, they started to see that uh, their their truck truckers were um, either uh, like getting laid off or fired or um uh kind of or or quitting because they said you know what we're, we're not taking the shot we're not going to do it um and this really started to to build up with um uh a woman named uh, tamara leach and she she is the uh, she started the the freedom convoy um uh, she's a indigenous uh person and uh, she's she was actually the daughter of of a trucker, so this really really hit home for her, and uh, and that's when she started that first uh, GoFundMe to to fund uh, a few trucks uh, from across Canada to to come to Ottawa and uh, make their voices heard.
And I think it's something worth noting when it comes to indigenous people, that community in particular, their approach to medicine is very different than Western medicine, how we approach it with like the vaccines. They have a more holistic approach to medicine. So it makes sense why uh, that would hit home for her and her dad. Am I wrong in assuming that? No, no, that's uh, that's absolutely. And, you know, uh, a lot of these families, you know, they... Um, uh, they don't have a lot of resources uh, for themselves. So these are essential. Uh, they're doing essential work for themselves and they don't have any other means of, of income. So um, when these mandates came in and <clears throat> it, it was, it was a moment for them to, to really like recalculate, recuperate and um, see, it's like, are we going to come and, up with something we don't believe in? And on top of that too, I, the buildup was a result of the government of just imposing these mandates and kicking the can essentially every time and say, well, if you do this, we'll give you freedoms back. And I would imagine that also played into the buildup and frustration with the Canadian people as a whole and why the people, they got so much support, at least grassroots level anyway, not from the elite establishment, of course, but from the grassroots level from what I saw in my research I did, um, that all played a factor into why the Freedom Convoy lasted as long as it did. Now, you said you were, you actually participated and interviewed and took photos, people at the Freedom Convoy. So go ahead and tell us your experience with the Freedom Convoy and the lies that drove you nuts. I want to make your pull your hair out. And any information the media just withheld and suppressed, uh, because as you mentioned earlier, the Canadian media is basically state funded. So it's basically state media. It's not even independent media anymore. Uh, So go ahead and give us your experience as a whole and like the points I mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so in the first few days when, you know, no one really knew what this, uh, this freedom convoy was, but the media was already starting to do damage control. Uh, they're saying, oh, you know, it's just a few protesters, you know, they're protesting ice conditions, like road, road conditions with ice. And that's, they, they really tried to, to cover it up like that. Uh, but then it, it started to grow. It started to grow. And uh, I saw this, uh, you know, they were, they were driving all across Canada, and the day that they were coming through Toronto, uh, I just figured that, you know, I'm not too far from Ottawa. Let's, let's check it out. Let's see what's going on. So we went to the, the main, like, meetup rally uh, just outside of Toronto, and uh, I saw, like, thousands and thousands of people uh, on, on the high, like, uh, on the freeways, like on the sides of the freeway, and uh, just cheering on all these trucks way to Ottawa. It was really incredible because uh, in Canada, you know, for the past two years, you know, everyone thought that they were alone. Everyone thought that, you know, oh, the world's like going crazy and we're the only ones who, who think this is crazy. Like, what's going on? But uh, that was really a moment when it was like five or 
5,000 people just all in one place cheering for the same thing for these truckers to, to make their voices heard. And, you know, people were, were waving flags and they had funny signs and, um, it was really incredible. So we, uh, we drove our way to, uh, to Ottawa, uh, to meet with, uh, the truckers because, uh, we didn't, we didn't really know what, what was going to happen. Were they just going to drive through or were they going to stop somewhere before? So we followed them to, to Ottawa and they, uh, they were driving on the street right in front of, uh, uh, of parliament in Ottawa. Uh, to, to have their voices heard. So that first day, they were just driving up and down the road, just honking their horns, and people were cheering. And that night, um, the trucks uh, started parking uh, right on the street, and they were, uh, like, blocking blocking traffic, essentially, uh, for this entire entire road, which is, like, maybe a mile, mile and a half uh of 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 trucks and they left room for emergency vehicles of course but um they they stopped their trucks and then at six o'clock that night they all blared their horns and i'm standing there (laughs) i don't really know what's happening so i go to a trucker and i say what's going on and he said oh we're we're parking here like this is it and i'm like what do you mean he's like oh we're parking here like until it's over and it was just like in unison all these trucks were just sitting and hunkered down and they're like we're not leaving tonight we're not leaving tomorrow we're gonna leave when the government decides to lift the mandates and it was really like a wash of like like hope and like everyone was cheering freedom and it was it was really an incredible moment yeah, that's. I remember when I was watching it um, and seeing the stories that came about it, more particular independent sources, because I know I knew even the American media was gonna give it a bad rap and make these people out to be like these white supremacists and Nazis. That hurt sometimes, mm-hmm. which I knew that was a bunch of BS to begin with. It was inspiring to watch, and for me as an American, anyway, I was a little bit irritated and i was a little bit jealous of you guys not gonna lie because you would think that would happen in america first not in so we thought too but but the thing that we have going on in america that canada doesn't doesn't seem to have is in america is that we could go to a different state if we don't like what their state government is doing so if we lived in california for example you can just go to florida and then boom you're in a much different situation when it comes to vaccine mandates and you know masks and everything like that lockdowns whereas in canada because your parliament and your government officials were in lockstep y'all had nowhere else to go so it it makes sense why it would happen in canada first instead of america first but i i'm still jealous that it happened in canada because like i said that's something you would think it would happen in america first not canada yeah that's that's what we're thinking too because you know americans have this this fighting spirit more so than canadians for sure. And so with that said, though, um, let me go ahead and ask this question. Was this bound to happen regardless who was prime minister? Or do you think, you know, just the fact that the elite establishment had this mindset 
that they're going to influence the prime minister regardless. So this was going to happen anyway. And this frustration was going to, you know, be created or is that too hypothetical for you to answer? Well, I would say like short answer. uh, I think it would happen either way Uh, just because the way that uh, our, our government is currently laid out is that um, like, for many Canadians, they don't feel represented. I don't know many conservatives who who feel represented by the Conservative Party. The party has um, just essentially become a liberal light. So essentially, they're just they're just a different color party. Our liberals are red. Uh, the Conservatives are blue, and that's about the difference. Uh, so I knew many Conservatives who 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 were losing hope and that. Um, you know, Trudeau would would enact uh, some some mandate first, and then the Conservatives, just to be in opposition, just kind of in like in spirit or in name, um, they would they would be like, well, these mandates aren't good. And then two weeks later, they say, oh well, there's nothing we can do, so we're just gonna we're just gonna keep them. So whether it was you know just Trudeau, if it uh, as the prime minister or the leader of the Conservative Party, um, I I would say that it would happen to uh, to any leader. I think any leader would have would have taken the opportunity. Someone who understands the uh, Canadians as as people who you know generally don't don't like co- conflict and do what they're told um, uh, with uh, you know government uh, advice. I think uh, I think any leader would have. Uh, would have taken the same route, maybe not to the same intensity that uh, Trudeau has, because uh, Trudeau really uh, cracked the hammer down uh, for for these protests and and all these this entire uh, this entire pandemic. So let me go ahead and pivot back to a point and talking point we were having earlier as far as the democratic process and the current political climate of Canada. Do you think? Um, that these people in power right now in Canada, do you think they're in lockstep because it's just part of the culture as far as they're not confrontational? And so whenever they hear something they disagree with, they're going to be less likely to confront them and dissent? Or do you think there's some more, a bigger conspiracy going on behind closed doors? Because some people have linked Trudeau to the World Economic Forum with the Great Reset, stuff like that. So I'm curious to hear your perspective on whether or not one of the reasons why they were in lockstep was because maybe there's a bigger conspiracy or it's just part of the culture as far as they're just not confrontational. So they're less likely to dissent whenever they hear something they disagree with. They're just kind of they're just going to go along with the flow. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I am sure that, uh, you know, the World Economic Forum and you know, all these like Klaus Schwab types, they have like uh, uh, people in parliament who, who actually are signed on with them. So there's uh, like our, ent- our entire cabinet essentially is, uh, has been quote unquote penetrated by uh, the, the, the WEF. Um, but I would say that on top of that, it's, I think conservatives are losing uh, the culture war. Uh, here in Canada, it's it's very difficult for conservatives to uh, to talk about uh, anything really that is in their best their own best interest. Um, 
whether it's uh, like particularly social issues. Um, the conservatives are really like their only job really that uh, they're doing is they they talk economic policy because uh, as soon as conservatives talk about social issues, then um, like the whole media is in an upswing, you know, uh, people are, are scared. It's, it really gets uh, chaotic. So, you know, even on the, um, on the conservative side of the, of the house, you know, you won't see many people who are uh, uh, pro-life in, uh, in, uh, in, in, in parliament. Uh, you won't see um, people who are against uh, vaccine mandates and personal freedom or, or uh, you know, owning firearms. They, they generally um, echo uh, similarly as, as the Liberal Party. But do you think it's because like they've been gaslit into believing their beliefs and views aren't as popular than they actually are? Or do you think that they genuinely believe that they're on the losing end of this argument, so they're better off just going ahead and sticking with the uh, fiscal economic portion of conservatism? I think it's a, I think it's a bit of both. Yeah. Um, I'd say like they, they think that, um, you know, with older, older Canadians uh, who might to like, uh, like strong economic policy, then, you know, that's, that's their, uh, that's their, their route to power. But uh, I would also say that their uh, conservatives are, are gaslit to, to the point where um, like they're, not really quote unquote like allowed to talk about uh, uh, social issues if they if they differ from uh, uh, from the current uh, the current power or the current culture uh, they're not allowed to make uh, uh, really comments on what what culture should look like what Canadian culture is uh, it's kind of like uh, we've really adopted the uh, the melting pot um, uh, sentimentality where um, you know, it's not, it's not all about, you know, personal freedoms or individual individuality, but it's, you know, it's all diversity and uh, inclusive inclusion. Uh, so the, the conservatives tend to echo those, uh, those terms a lot. That's interesting because I would think, cause there's, I am a social conservative on many aspects. Like I'm even on the abortion scale, like I think my voice is like the very, very minority when I'm for complete abolition of the practice of abortion and healthcare. But even then, like for just simple as simple as restrictions, for example, I would think a social issue like that, that would be a winning argument for conservatives because majority would probably disagree in a third trimester abortion, for example. The vast majority of people would, regardless of where you are on that political spectrum um, and, or like something like vaccine mandates, which I guess that really came to light with the freedom convoy and the blessings of the freedom convoy and probably, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that probably helped conservatives open their eyes and embolden them to say, you know what, maybe we're not, maybe we're not such a small fringe minority as Trudeau puts it <laughs> when it comes to these social issues. Yeah. So, so what happened actually, um, you know, uh, the conservative party leader, Aaron O'Toole, um, he, he was saying that he, he kind of like 
um, didn't even talk about the truckers when they were coming to, to Ottawa. He kind of, he really ignored them. He, he was asked about it and uh, he, he kind of gave like a, a very easy answer like, Oh, you know, we support our, our truckers, you know, they're doing important work. Um, but he was, it seemed as though he was afraid to really step into, um, you know, supportive, being supportive of uh, the truckers and their concerns. Um, so it wasn't until a few weeks later when Aaron O'Toole really uh, warmed up to, to the passions of the, of the truckers who, who wanted to, to change uh, um, the mandates in, in this country. But, uh, but, you know, it was, it was already too late and um, there was a, there was a vote in the, the leadership of the conservative party and he, he was actually ousted as the leader. So we have a new, uh, interim leader for the time. So it sounds like you're you probably would associate yourself more with the Conservative Party of Canada. Am I wrong in assuming that? Um, uh, well, the, I would say the the party I most align with is the um, there's a small party called the People's Party of Canada, which that's is the one that has no representation in Parliament right now, right? Currently, currently none. Uh, but it's led by uh, a former lawyer, and he used to be an MP. Um, but he, he lost his seat in two elections ago. Um, but they're, uh, they're very fiscally conservative and they're more socially conservative than, than, than any other party. So I wouldn't say that the, the current blue conservative uh, party, I, I, I wouldn't say that I, I align with them. Well, and here in America, we call those blue conservatives rhinos. So yeah, <laughs> so yeah, like yeah rhino. that's, that's what here it's like controlled opposition okay i see i see so let's get in so we'll actually get into like what you think is going to happen in the future of politics in canada but i want to go ahead and ask you the measures that was that took place in canada give us the details with these emergency powers and or and or other steps that took place before the emergency powers uh, give us like the nitty gritty details of what happened on the streets when that was implemented, the emergency powers the floor is yours. Sure. So what happened is these, uh, so these trucks started coming into Ottawa and blocking traffic and it really turned into like a, a street festival. Um, you know, if you saw photos of, you know, there were people uh, not only living in their trucks, but there were people who were, who were cooking food making coffee and snacks and soup and, and all this. And there was, there really started like this, this little um, like ecosystem. Uh, kids were playing street hockey. There were prayer circles and uh, I saw a pig roast too. Uh, so that someone was making, which was really ah, just try it out street. It was, it was incredible. Um, did you try it at least? I, I didn't try it, but uh, I got a good photo. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, and so very quickly, this was turning into um, like the biggest mass protest in Canadian history. Like there's nothing even really uh, comparable before, you know, we start to get into violent protests that happened in the past. But this was entirely uh, peaceful and, and loving. People were just really happy to, to see each other again. And Trudeau didn't like this. Um, Trudeau would uh, go in front of the cameras and say that 
this is a very fringe minority and these are racist. So let me go ahead and interject real quick. Did he hide did he hide in his bunker saying these things? I heard rumors that he hid in his bunker at one point too. Oh yeah, yeah. So he uh for the first few days he he wasn't in Ottawa. He was in his uh it was in, he was in his cottage somewhere somewhere in Quebec. And uh he made these announcements from 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 his front porch. So he was he just escaped the whole situation, didn't want to think about it, probably went skiing. Claim COVID, right? Yeah, and he, he actually yeah, yeah, he he said he got sick with COVID and you know, just spending time with family and uh and all this but uh very convenient timing for you know the biggest protest right on his doorstep <laughs> so he had to fly out and uh he really started to divide like drive a wedge through canadians um he was saying that uh he said most canadians did their part in you know getting vaccinated but when i was there uh, talking to people in the Freedom Convoy, I met lots of people who were unvaccinated and vaccinated who said, I don't like these measures that the government is taking. Um, so that was, that was really cool to see. And these were very, very generous, kind people. Uh, you know, people were cleaning up garbage from the streets and shoveling snow and you know, very nice to, to police and everything. And it was very, really a, a very uh, peaceful protest. And um, uh, go ahead and ask you real quick about the police, because there's obviously a lot of things that was shown on social media in regards to how obtuse the police were. Were the police mostly pre peaceful or were they kind of robotic and they were kind of and they were really as obtuse as they seen and came across on the social media videos. So when the, the convoy first started, like the, the early weeks of the protest, police were, were very kind and they were just there to, to maintain order. And I even saw some hugs between protesters and police because a lot of the police were, uh, were saying, you know, we're on your side. Like, we, we understand. Uh, it wasn't until after the Emergencies Act was invoked and when they started to clear protesters when uh, when they became violent. So that happened on, on February 14th. Um, uh, so this was about just less than, than three weeks um, of the protest. And Justin Trudeau said, we have to invoke the Emergencies Act um, <clears throat> which which gave him powers that other uh, prime ministers, similar powers to other prime ministers during World War One and World War Two. So these were um, uh, quite exceptional. Wow. Um, so when it comes, so go ahead and clarify how the emergency powers process works, because if I'm not mistaken, he could invoke them, but he still has to get parliament approval. Correct. Uh, correct. So he can uh, announce the um, the invocation, uh, and then the the next parliament voted to um, to pass it, and um, there was really no no competition. You know, you had the Liberal Party and the NDP party who who supported this uh, uh, full force, and 
and then it was it was passed and he he had the powers to um to to quell these uh protests to to freeze bank accounts um uh, to bring out uh he was bringing police from uh from many jurisdictions in canada especially in southern ontario which is around where ottawa is but also from uh from quebec and and federal police were there too um yeah, it was crazy. Okay, so real quick, we got someone who loves talking about finance and everything like that. It drives me insane how government officials would have that kind of power to look into your bank account and say, whoa, 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 I see you funded here, or you got some money from GoFundMe or whatever charity source to help uh, support this Freedom Convoy. So how does that work? How did it, how did that enforcement take place? Because to me, I also think about how, well, how can you track that anyway and enforce that? And why would the government even have that capacity to look into someone's finances like that? Mm-hmm. So the, uh, the, uh, the Emergencies Act allowed them to... Uh, uh, to examine uh, bank accounts, but there was also a um, uh, a computer programmer. Um, I'm blanking on his name right now, but he actually um, he doxed every single donor to uh, the two fundraisers. So there was one with GoFundMe, and that was uh, that was taken down uh, by them, and then eventually uh, GoFundMe was taken to uh, to court. In Canada um, uh, for this and so the identities of every individual and every business who donated to the Freedom Convoy you can actually you could point them out on a map you know oh, is that even legal by the way um, I don't I don't think so um, it's it didn't show their exact uh, location it showed kind of the a very small portion of the neighborhood that they lived in. So we have uh, like postal codes, which is similar to your zip codes, but uh, they're more. I mean, uh, they're more localized. I mean, okay, but I mean, what I mean though is like, do they? Is it legal to have that much power to actually look into someone's finances like that, Canada? Because obviously here in the United States, you know, we have those checks and balances. Like the government can't do certain things, such as look into your finances. So. Does Canada not, not have like those checks and balances to ensure something like that wouldn't happen? I would hope so. I would hope that they did, but um, evidently, um, it seems like there there were no protections for for these people. And I talked to many some of the organizers of of the convoy who were not able to access credit cards or uh, cryptocurrency or um, or all this. So I don't, I don't know if it is legal in Canada. There were, but, um, it, Canada it have happened. a social credit system. Cause it sounds like a social credit system. <laughs> it sounds like it. Yeah. It's uh, we, so we don't have one officially, like it's not named or anything, but, uh, I'm sure it's, it's coming down the ropes, you know? Um, but yeah, they were, they were looking into people's accounts and if they donated to, uh, if they made, anything more than a $50 donation to any of these campaigns, then they were at risk of getting their bank accounts frozen. And um, Canada 
for the Freedom Convoy, they actually froze more bank accounts than the U.S. did after 9-11. And give me numbers. You have numbers to kind of give perspective? It was like uh, up to 200, 200 bank accounts. That's and crazy it, yeah. that government would have. 11 I think it was only like uh, 100, 120. Um, That's insane, though. Like was, the, gov- insane. the government would have that much power to invade someone's privacy like that. And honestly, who cares if someone wants to donate to a cause they believe in? Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's definitely, I mean... How does that make you feel as an individual citizen? I'm sure that's got to be very concerning that the government would have that much power to oversight your finances and determine uh, what causes are worthy of you to have access to your own basic necessities financially. Exactly. Yes, it's it's very scary because I don't know if uh, if uh, if if a cause that I'm donating to is going to be deemed a, an illegal protest or something in the future. And, you know, I don't want to get my bank account frozen. And we had, um, uh, like last, last summer we had, um, over 60 churches burned down, um, <clears throat> like, uh, through arson. And these were done like, uh, with like, um, like indigenous, uh, people's groups, um and like uh like blm you got you guys had the uh the blm riots in in 2020 so we had a few of those too and uh they kind of led into to last summer as well and they were all getting uh fundraising from from places like gofundme so uh but i but they never froze any bank accounts there when they were uh committing arson uh but you know a you know, friends of mine have gotten uh, bank accounts frozen for for a couple of trucks on, you know, causing traffic. You know, it's just it's really it's really scary to to see like which what what is going to be decided for me in the future that this was illegal. You weren't able to do that. It's so I want to go ahead and pivot back to the churches because I know at least when you listen to someone like Jordan Peterson, Michaela Peterson, for example, both Canadian born natives, mm-hmm. they, they have brought up the religious freedom uh, that's been, that's going on in Canada right now, where especially during the pandemic, they seem to have lost a lot of those basic uh, freedoms to just assemble in person for religious gatherings. So go ahead and give us paint us a picture. Cause I'm assuming too, that this also played a factor into the buildup of the Freedom Convoy. Because I've, I've seen videos where a pastor in Canada was trying to just have a Sunday sermon, but the Canadian police literally walked in the middle of the sermon to try to send people home. And the pastor was like, I think one of them was like yelling and calling them Nazis at one point. Yes, yes. Um, so that is uh, very famous. His name is uh, um, Pastor Arthur uh, Pavlowski uh, from Calgary, Alberta. And most of these happened in Alberta, but a few in Ontario. But uh, pastors were spending time in jail for refusing to um, uh, to comply with compa- capacity limits in their churches. So actually, in uh, in one church in in Alberta, they actually put up fencing uh, around the church. The police did so that 
people couldn't, uh, couldn't congregate. And uh, they started taking down these fences and the pastor was, uh, was also arrested. He, was, he spent uh, several weeks in jail um, for um, refusing to comply with these measures that were going against his, his religious freedoms. That's insane. That hits home to me personally because I am a Christian in particular. So for me, just having that ability to gather no matter without no matter what the government tells me to do, I mean, that's important to me. And so I'm assuming that played a huge role. Do you have any specific numbers as far as how many pastors were jailed? And this kind of gets into I guess the going pivoting back a little bit to the emergency powers where a lot of people, a lot of protesters were thrown in jail for participating in these protests or helping out and contributing to the Freedom Convoy. Do you have any specific numbers of the jailings of pastors? So I I don't have specific numbers, but the ones that uh, have made it into the news, there was about, uh, there there were about three, uh, Artur Pawlowski and, um, another one in Alberta and then one in a small town in Ontario. And these really like broke through uh, the news, but I think I didn't hear the media... any other ones. I was going to say, and how is the media treatment of them? Um, well, they, they kind of painted them as, um, you know, um, not ca- like not caring about their neighbors and, you know, not, you know, any, anyone here who wasn't COVID compliant, complete, um, was really vilified. And, uh, one, one of those pastors is, is still in jail. Uh, he gets, he gets released, um, every now and then, but he's still non-compliant. And, uh, I think he's like, I think he's in jail right now too. So it's really, um, it's really disheartening to see and so part of the Emergencies Act that we saw, and this actually, like I said, kind of pivots back to the Emergencies Act and what's happened since the Freedom Convoy. Um, how many people did you see the police actually confront and arrest at the time after the Emergencies Act? So let's actually talk about your experience post-Emergencies uh, Act and how the environment started to change like you were mentioning earlier, as far as the police treatment of the people and the protesters. Sure. So, so on the night of, uh, I think it was the, the 16th or the 17th. So a few days after it was invoked, uh, Tamara Leach, the, the, the main leader of the convoy, uh, was res- uh, arrested and her charge was, uh, and I'm not joking. It was consulting to conduct mischief. Uh, that was her, her charge, and she ended up spending three weeks in jail and going through uh, the entire court system. Um, but uh, so after she was arrested, um, the protest really lost uh, lost leadership, and that's when uh, police really took the opportunity to um, <clears throat> you know start. They brought out the the riot squads with with gas masks and tear gas canisters and, um, and batons and, and even horses, as you probably saw. And they really, they started to, to crack down on the protests. So I myself was in, um, I was a few rows behind uh, the protesters as the, 
police were were moving in um uh but i personally saw i would say dozens of arrests because you had a a main uh police line uh that would stand there and no one was going through and then there were protesters who who were facing off with them and every every like five or ten minutes the police would you know they would shout forward and they would all move forward um maybe 20 feet uh and then stop and every time that uh, uh they went forward like three or four protesters were, were taken down and promptly arrested uh and so they were they were zip tied and they were like driven out and they they weren't allowed to return to the protest um uh so yeah they had the 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 riot squads they had rcmp that's uh that's the royal canadian mounted police uh those are federal uh police officers who who were there with uh with large rifles um and in some instances they they were pointing it at people who um, you know, people were in their RVs or in their trucks, and if they were refusing to get out, then these officers would would smash their windows, open open the door, point the gun, and then uh, promptly drag them out of their their vehicles. Um, oh my gosh! Yeah, it's it was um, it was really uh, frightening and and violent to. Uh, to see and the media was was doing cover-up they were saying oh no one's pointing any guns here you know this is not you guys are exaggerating uh and then you know photos will come out of of uh people breaking into um uh to rvs and trucks uh with their guns raised um it was uh it was really really frightening at the time so yeah, so they would be they would be pushing forward every every few minutes or so. Uh, <clears throat> some some protesters were 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 tackled or just thrown to the ground. Some of them were were beat with uh, batons, and uh, so they they were doing this uh, for uh, a whole day. Um, they were every uh, every ten minutes they were gaining more ground and uh at the end of that that first day they they stopped when they got to um there's a very lofty hotel in uh in the city it's called the the chateau laurier and um so once they they gained that ground back from the protesters um they 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 started quartering uh police there and um it, uh then that's when they kind of stopped and they were only holding, holding the line. They weren't pushing forward. They were mainly trying to get that, uh, that hotel back. Um, so, uh, and that night, um, <clears throat> um, there was a, there was a leak in, uh, RCMP officers, WhatsApp messaging where they, um, th uh, they were chatting about the, uh, about enjoying themselves while arresting uh, these protesters, and I'm sure you you saw videos of uh, of a woman being trampled 
uh, by a horse. Yep, I remember that going viral. Yeah, so that happened right right in front of that hotel, and I was about thirty or forty feet away from that, and it was just it it, it blew my mind. Like they were so. Um, it, it was in that like few seconds. It was just so so chaotic, and then there were these officers later that day who were celebrating this. They were saying, "Oh, you know, we have to practice that that move or let these protesters like uh, taste our our jackboots or something." Um, but uh, that was a that was a huge scandal for for the next day. But of course, you know the. Um, the the state media would would not publish those uh, those text messages. Um, so let me go ahead and pivot back a little bit, if you don't mind, because yeah. you you keep bringing the media and everything like that. I want you to really, if you could, give us a real clear picture with how the media and the government are intertwined with each other to where they're literally the mouthpiece of the Canadian government. Yeah. So during uh, during. <clears throat> Uh, so we have uh, the main one is called the CBC, and that's the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, and they're entirely funded um, by by the government, and they are they are literally spokespeople um, for 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 the current prime minister, uh, say, and they are they don't ask difficult questions uh, during press conferences or anything. Uh, they don't uh, ask questions that uh, Canadians are really, uh, uh, really worried about. Um, they they really do softball uh, softball questions, and they are in in lockstep with one another. You know, if um, and these are these are failing organizations. You know, they're not doing well. They're not getting good viewership. Uh, wonder why <laughs> right exactly so uh justin trudeau will every few years he gives them uh you know another billion dollar uh bailout uh it's always like that though or did, was it more recent the last few years decades whatever that these uh media companies became state funded uh no they've uh they've always been uh state funded and um to my knowledge they were always kind of left-leaning uh, even with uh, with previous uh, conservative governments, but it is uh, it's never been this egregious where um, uh, the the CBC will actually um, cover up huge scandals by the prime minister and only report on them if they've been reported by uh, by other media. I see. Okay, so I guess it kind of pivots back into. The Freedom Convoy and how they, you know, the life after the Emergencies Act. It sounded like once they got the leader of the convoy, um, that's where it started to lose steam. It sounded like the because y'all were there for, I mean, the Freedom protest lasted for almost a month, did it? Yeah, it was. Uh, it was three weeks. Three weeks. Okay, and so uh, it's. When the Emergencies Act was invoked after one week, two weeks? Mm-hmm. So, uh, two weeks. Okay, two weeks. So, after the Emergencies Act was invoked, um, at, it only took about one more week. And so, that said, though, um, I've seen 
post from Michaela Peterson. I follow the Petersons a lot. Yeah, yeah. And so <laughs> I have a lot on uh, Canadian issues. Yeah. Yeah, they have a lot of good stuff to say too. So I keep up with them. And so I, was, I saw a post from Michaela Peterson. She was pointing out the fact that um, despite the fact that the Freedom Convoy has ended, Justin Trudeau has still has emergency powers enacted. And also a lot of these protesters and bank accounts are, you know, they're still affected. Like the, those bank accounts are frozen. They're still frozen. And people who protest and they got arrested, they're also, uh, st- they're still being detained and jail so go ahead and give us a paint us a picture of post freedom convoy what that's going on what the media is not talking about we're not hearing from them and really i mean this is taboo topic so Mm, any so anything that you think needs to be brought to light this is your opportunity right now to put them on blast yeah of course so um one thing the media uh, didn't cover during the protests is uh, just um, the violence that was done against other independent journalists. So I met uh, a few uh, journalists who, who were pepper sprayed. Uh, one was even shot with like the tear gas can- canister in her leg and it just complete. Yikes. Range. Yeah. Point, point blank range, by the way. Uh, she was shot with it and she's okay now, thankfully. Um, but uh, yeah, she, her name is Alexa Lavoie, and she works for Rebel News. She's a really good reporter. And um, but um, so the CBC, they were saying, you know, oh, we're seeing violence from protesters because you know they're shouting at us, they're calling us names, and you know, we have freedom of the press, and that's what they were saying. But uh, no one, they never mentioned. Uh, uh, the the assaults on uh, on other journalists who they're supposed to you know be friendly with, but there is a very big uh, you know corporate government and independent divide. Uh, they the corporate uh, the corporate journalists the government journalists they don't uh, they don't they don't see independent journalists as you know. Um, as part of the the team of you know doing the job, uh, so that they're not that, part of the elite. <laughs> they're not part of the elite. Yeah, they don't live in Ottawa. And it's like, so they're really you know out of tune with uh, uh, with all this. But uh, so in the aftermath of uh, the convoy, the uh, the police were um, they set up a, a red zone, an emergency red zone in downtown Ottawa. And they put up uh, fencing and anyone who didn't have a reason for for being there, you were questioned when you were walking through Um, and you were you would be kicked out, you would be asked to leave or in some cases, you know, uh, you were intimidated or or yelled at. Um, You had to show document documentation that you lived in that red zone and that you were going home. Uh, there's even a video of a woman who just wanted to get coffee and this officer took her phone and threw it and yelled at her and pushed her. And Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. It is crazy. It was, it was, it was sickening to see. And, you know, this whole time we're all saying, you know, is this what Canada has become? Have we turned into a, 
you know, a society where we're, we're, we're checking, uh, police are checking people's papers, you know, it's checkpoint news. eh? yeah, exactly. (laughs) eh? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, so at this time, uh, Tamara Leach is in jail and she spent, uh, fully three weeks in jail. Um, and she had several, uh, bail hearings and, everyone kind of knew that, um, you know, she, she wouldn't be spending much time in jail, that she would be released uh, pretty soon because her charge was legitimately uh, counseling to conduct a mischief, not even mischief or no violent crimes. Yet she was, uh, she was always brought into court in, in shackle, uh, which is usually reserved for, uh, uh, for violent criminals, but, uh, but she got treated as one. <laughs> she got, she got treated as one. She was, um, uh, her hearings were, were delayed, uh, once or twice where the judge said, Oh, you know, you know, it's, it's four o'clock. It's getting late. Uh, you know, and I, uh, it, that was on a Wednesday and he said, Oh, you know, we're finished with this today. My quote unquote schedule is jammed for Thursday and Friday they don't work on the weekend. So she had to spend five more nights in jail. Her, her next hearing was delayed uh, because the judge's schedule was jammed, um, which, which was just too much of an inconvenience, <laughs> right? It just, it blew my mind. Um, and yeah, so uh, as far as what's happening right now is um, the emergency powers were revoked. So um, Justin Trudeau, uh, he, you know, once the, the protests were, were cleared, he, he walked back his, uh, his decision, even though it was passed in, uh, in the House of Commons, um, he, he, wa- he walked them back. Uh, so he currently does not have uh, uh, those powers. Um, but I do believe that some bank accounts are are still frozen. Uh, I I wouldn't be able to say say whose. Um, I know the most of the organizers that I've talked to. You know they're they're all all good and done. Um, but you know uh, our finance minister Christia uh, Freeland, uh, she still says that they're keeping an eye on on a lot of these accounts. Um, even though you know they're not committing any crimes or uh, or anything, so so Trudeau doesn't doesn't have the uh, those emergency powers anymore. Um, but um, but yeah, I would say that you know Tamara Leach, she was the one who really uh, faced the the brunt of this uh, of this whole process. You know, the way it seems is that uh, uh, the punishment was just the, the process of what they put her through, you know, through, through an arrest, through, uh, you know, these very kind of laid back charges of, 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 of mischief and, you know, bringing her to court uh, and keeping her, her in jail. Um, they, they really went after her um, for that. So what's the environment right now, post freedom convoy have, and would you consider the Freedom Convoy? How would you describe the Freedom Convoy as far as the success? Um, 
was it semi-successful, really successful? Did they actually accomplish the goals they want to accomplish or uh, it fell short despite its valiant efforts? So I would say, you know, yes and no, that it was a success. Um, I think it, it woke up a lot of Canadians to see what kind of like, for sure, like tyranny is happening in Canada that, you know, um, police are being violent against peaceful protesters, uh, freezing bank accounts, you know, it really woke up a lot of Canadians to, to what's happening to their own citizens who, you know, decided not to take a, a certain medical uh, procedure. Uh, so I think, you know, the culture is, is starting to shift. And uh, on a provincial level, um, slowly, each province has kind of been falling down like like dominoes. So uh, provinces have jurisdiction over their own uh, borders for the COVID mandates. So, um, so lots of provinces in the last uh, month or so, they've been dropping uh, vaccine mandates uh, and mask mandates. So that happened in, uh, in Alberta, in Saskatchewan, uh, Manitoba, and even here in Ontario. Ontario's pretty slow usually with these things but um um but yeah, the way i see it is that they want to separate themselves from the convoy as much as they can i don't think they can let um the the convoy think that they won so they've kind of been walking slowly toward and saying okay you know uh the science is saying that we can lift the masks but uh, but only for like probably like a little bit, and you. Thought the science was settled though. Just kidding. <laughs> Sorry. I said I thought the science was settled though. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. That's what they always say. But uh, but now it's like, well, we're just we're just following the science. So and the science says the mandates can start going. Um. So, you know, in my opinion, if you know, if if whichever way they want to go with getting rid of mandates that's uh that's fine by me but i would say that's a win for the uh for the convoy the only thing is that uh the federal mandates have not uh not budged so there's no plan to to lift the the mandates right now uh so unvaccinated canadians um are not able to to leave the country they can't board a plane and they still can't go on a train either. So I've heard some stories of people being able to drive across, uh, across the border uh, to the States. Um, but absolutely, there's no way for uh, someone who's unvaccinated to, to get on a plane. Like they won't even do they, get past security. That's crazy. Do they even have, do they still have to have the vaccine passports too, I'm assuming? Uh, yes, for, for, uh, for any federal, uh, kind of transportation, you don't, you don't have to show them at, uh, at restaurants anymore, unless, you know, some restaurants still ask some bars still, uh, still want you to, to show your, uh, your passport. Um, but federally, yes, they, they are still in place and, um, they're digital now too. So they're all on your phone. So, and Trudeau has, you know, I think with this uh, Russia-Ukraine conflict that uh, it really kind of saved him uh, where he doesn't really have to deal with uh, domestic uh, 
COVID issues because now, oh, there's a there's a there's a hot war uh, in Eastern Europe that we need to put all our resources to. So, so real quickly, the, do you think that's been effective for him, or do you think that people are still more concerned about domestic issues rather than what's going on with Russia and Ukraine? I think. Um, you know, in, in my circles, it's, you know, we're still concerned about uh, uh, dom- domestic issues. But uh, I recently uh, heard a poll um, where up to 75% of Canadians want uh, Canada to intervene in uh, the Russian-Ukraine conflict. And to me, this is so bizarre because we still have so many problems here in Canada. Like, Can we focus on on our own problems before we uh, we send troops to, to now is that from die? the state sponsored media though <laughs> no that was actually from uh, the post millennial uh, they, oh they came wow okay yeah I was gonna say I personally especially in America whenever they show us polls in my head I'm thinking alright so they're clearly gonna pr- pump up the numbers for questions that's gonna help promote their agenda so Say, for example, you know, Roe v. Wade here in America on CNN, they're going to prop up the numbers, say, yeah, majority of people want Roe v. Wade to remain intact or mm-hmm. the popularity of Joe Biden, for example. Um, so if I see like a 50 percent approval rating from Joe Biden, probably is a lot lower than what it actually is. And or vice versa, if I see a 40 percent or when I saw a 40 percent approval rating for uh, President Trump, it's probably a lot higher. Yeah. That, that, yeah. That, so that's not so when I so when I see polls, I take it with a grain of salt. I'm not entirely sure, at least in America, you know, how reliable they are, but you being in Canada, I mean, post millennial, they're, they're relatively I mean, they're pretty good source. I've used them before for uh information. They're pretty independent. Little leans to the right, but I mean, you know, there's like, no Go ahead. Here in Canada like um like I mostly agree with you on the, like the polls, like from like, uh, you know, it's hard to, to trust, like, you know, where they're coming from, where they're getting their, their data from. Um, but the way I see it, the, uh, the culture here has shifted so quickly from, uh, you know, it was either like pro convoy and then lots of anti convoy people. And, uh, it, it, in like a, the snap of a finger, they, uh, all the people uh, turned into pro-Ukraine. So became foreign policy experts. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. On very like Eastern European uh, geopolitics, they're experts now. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. All right. So give us your prediction then the future of Canadian politics. It sounds like with this shift, I w- you wouldn't be surprised and correct me if I'm wrong, but, if there was some representation finally from that party that you were talking about earlier that has no official representation that more aligns with your beliefs and probably shift more towards actual conservative policies and values in future elections being reflected, what do you think? Uh, yeah. So actually in this last election, um, this party was called the, the people's party of Canada. Um, they they got just over five percent of the vote, which is basically unheard of of uh, uh, such a small and new party. 
so I think, uh, you know, Canadians are, are starting to see that the Conservative Party doesn't represent them, you know, at least the people who would call themselves Conservatives. Um, they, uh, they, don't, they don't see themselves in uh, the, the Blue Party. So, and one thing that I really found when I was uh, at the Freedom Convoy is I was talking to people who were, everyone was saying this, they were saying, I'm proud to be Canadian again. And in Canada, patriotism isn't uh, very common. It's not, it's not like in, in the States, uh, you know, where I'm sure that you see like lots of American flags outside of people's homes. Here you won't see um, very much of that. Uh, well, here in America, really quickly, it's been, believe it or not, patriotism has become a point of controversy now mm-hmm. where it's now if you have an American flag at your doorstep, for example, that's now a symbol of white supremacy. Mm-hmm. So there's there's actual push now to de- to minimize the, you know, the love of country, if you will. And so it really just depends on what part of the country you're in. If you live in a state like California, yeah, good luck seeing American flags over there. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. if you're in the state yeah, like... It's actually similar in Canada. I mean, you know, like I'll raise the Canadian flag because, you know, I love Canada and I'm proud of it. Um, but uh, it, it, the, the Canadian flag is, is starting, you know, in, in the mass media and, you know, with anti-convoy... Uh, folks you know they see the canadian flag also as white supremacy it's it's actually like quite the same as uh as i hear from uh from the states you know uh the media here was so desperate to make um this freedom convoy sound like um canada's january 6th and that's what they were saying they said you know these people are gonna ram their trucks into into the government buildings that's what they thought was gonna happen it sounds like uh, I actually made a TikTok with Chancellor Palpatine making that speech, uh, talking about how he's going to go after the Jedi, and but I replaced the words with "they're going after the Canadian protesters, <laughs> we're going to yeah. hunt them down." <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's the picture I got. What happened? So let me ask you this: Then, do you think the media coverage also awakened awakened a lot of people, and did it actually? create more of a unified uh, atmosphere because of the media coverage. People were like, man, you guys are really disconnected from the people and everything like that. Uh, what do you think? Do you think that actually the media coverage awakened more people and there's more a bigger sense of unity? Or do you think it actually they were actually successful in dividing uh, people to like that anti versus pro convoy? Um, you know, it's, it's hard to say, like, for the, uh, the entire Canadian population. Um, but I would say that I met a lot of people who, uh, who see, who see the media, and they're watching it, and they're saying, well, well, I'm talking to these people who are, um, who are on my street here in Ottawa with the convoy. And, you know, they've all been very nice. They've been giving me hugs and coffee and soup and but then I go home and I see on TV that these are these are apparently white supremacists, these dangerous people, violent. It's, so I think a lot more Canadians are are starting to 
to see that the media doesn't work for them and that a, a really good alternative is the independent media that uh, that exists in Canada. Interesting. So I guess we'll go ahead and close this out. But as far as the future of Canada and everything like that, would you describe your feelings about the future of Canada hopeful after the Freedom Convoy? You feel a lot more optimistic than before. And where do you, and how do you see the next election in Canada play out? Go ahead, give us your predictions, my friend. Sure. So my prediction is, you know, personally, like uh, I have felt uh, optimistic in knowing that there's there were so many people who are against these uh, COVID mandates. Uh, but ultimately, I'm quite pessimistic about Canada as a whole, uh, because I think a lot of people are still tuned into uh, the wrong media and they they're they're learning things they're learning to to hate their country um which is 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 very sad to see um so i think in in further elections i think we will see like proper conservatism start to to rise up from more right-leaning people uh, but i also do see like you know the same liberal left kind of uh you know pushing their way forward so I think we're going to see a much more divided country. That's not necessarily a bad thing if there's discourse as well, which I guess that's what was lacking two, the two years prior was that discourse when it, when it came to these mandates. At least that's how I see it from America's from an American perspective. It's good to have at least it sucks that people are divided, but there's also a blessing. The silver lining is at least there's that freedom of speech, that discourse that's taking place um, that really can challenge people's beliefs and also they've changed some minds as well. Um, mm -hmm. Is there any final thoughts and anything you want to share before we close this episode out? Um, you know, I think, uh, I think I, I think I'm mostly covered it. Yeah. It was, you know, I just, uh, I, I would echo the same thoughts that uh, that I heard from from people on the ground that they were proud to be Canadian again, and it's been really hard to uh, to see what was going on in Canada for the past two years, and you know still feel a sense of uh, a sense of patriotism. So I would say that I am feeling more patriotic since. Well, I don't know if Canada has their own version, but here. When we're feeling patriotic, a lot of people will go America. So, America. <laughs> yes, I'm not sure what if Canada has something similar. I'm not sure how you would do a Canadian version of it, but if you ever do, let me know. I want to hear it. So, yeah, our uh, our Canadian version right now is Hong Kong. You know, for the freedom freedom convoy, Hong Kong. Oh, oh Hong Kong! Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds well. like your own. That sounds like your version of Let's Go Brandon too. Basically, basically, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, honk, honk, Andrew, thanks for joining me in this conversation. I really appreciate right uh, this. For having this, me on. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate the download and the scoop of what's going on Canadian politics. And with that said, folks, stay tuned. I'll be back, but you can say goodbye to Andrew. And Andrew, go ahead and remind people where they can find you on social media and your work. 
Sure. So you can find me on uh, on Twitter for uh, check underscore point news and then uh, news dot checkpoint on Instagram. And uh, if you want to see, I have uh, articles and uh, photos up on checkpointnews.net. All right, folks, with that said, we'll be back after this short break. And now to take a short break from the show to keep my promise and bring in awareness to the situation in Afghanistan, where we have about 9,000 American citizens who were left behind as a result of the disastrous withdrawal efforts by the Biden administration last year. The elite globalist leaders, the media, and big tech may have forgotten about them and would rather focus on other manners, but the reality is we have Americans who are in harm's way because nobody wants to hold our leaders accountable. It's just too inconvenient for them. So this is a special shout out to the families and friends who have someone they know and love stuck in that country and also to the very ones who are stuck there. You are not forgotten. And I'll keep mentioning you until there is a report, there is a concentrated effort to bring you home and every single one of you comes back to American soil. Please, if you fall into one of these categories, either you're the family friend and know someone that's there and you want to let me know how we can better help you out, please reach out. Or if you're that person that just so happens to be stuck there and you happen to be listening to this episode, please reach out to me. You can reach out to me through my personal account on Instagram at Kenjin296. I repeat, Kenjin296. Spell the word engine, put the letter K in front of the word engine, then you get Kenjin, one word, 296. Please, you are not forgotten. Uh, to my audience out there, don't forget to pray. Let's pray for their safety and their return home. And now, back to the show. Welcome. Welcome to Taboo Topic. I am your host, Ken Drew. Thanks again for tuning in to today's show. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Andrew. Andrew, thanks again for joining the show and really giving us the download and the scoop of what it's like to be a Canadian these days, especially understanding with how the parliament system works and how just out of touch Justin Trudeau really is. So thanks again for tuning in, guys. And with that said, folks, until next time, God bless.